welcome to A Seat at the Table, a podcast brings together feminism, dinner parties, music and food. I'm Alex, your host, the creator of Spare Ribs Club, an intersectional feminist book and supper club which explores feminism and social justice through literature, art, music and food. Each episode I invite our guests to take us through their perfect feminist dinner party, three feminist icons as dinner guests, three courses and three tunes being played. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome Prashita Maheshwari Aplin. Prashita is a queer, non-binary writer, editor, campaigner, and community organizer. Previously, politics editor at Bricks Magazine, they're committed to sharing community stories and amplify the voices of marginalized individuals with bylines in Gay Times, Galden, Dazed, Metal, and Cosmopolitan, among others. Prashita has organized at the grassroots level with the LGBTQ plus community for years, now building on their campaigning as the digital mobilization lead at Stonewall. They also sit on the advisory board for sex ed social enterprise Split Banana, who deliver inclusive RSHE in schools and train educators. Prashita regularly speaks on podcasts and panels and was featured in Soul of a Movement, a documentary that documents some of the British LGBTQIA plus activists artists and allies carrying the revolutionary fire of the Stonewall Uprising today. With a degree in biological anthropology, Prashita approaches all their work through an expansive and historical lens. Their relationship with their body, themselves and with others are rooted in and informed by their multicultural and migrant identities. Thank you so much Prashita for joining us today. Thank you so much, it's really lovely to be here speaking with you. So, uh, let's get started. Which three guests are you inviting over to your dream feminist dinner party? So um, my first guest uh, would be Bell Hooks. Um, and, you know, I was like wondering whether to say Bell Hooks because kind of a cliche reply, I guess. But also it felt wrong not to just because it was a really obvious answer. <laughs> <laughs> so I've gone with Bell Hooks. Um, for those who haven't, um, who aren't aware of Bell Hooks' work, um, she uh, was um, an American author, an educator, and social critic. Um, her kind of like her given name was Gloria Jean Watkins, but her pen name was Bell Hooks, and she wrote uh, many books um, under this name. Um, including uh, All About Love, which is one of my favourites. Um, again, you know, I would recommend anyone to read it. Um, incredibly beautiful exploration of all the different types of love and through the lens of, of being someone who socialises a woman um, and also as a black, um, as a black woman, as she was. Um, uh, yep, yeah, so... That's one of my that's one of my guests. And then secondly, um, I would love to have uh Miriam Marglers there. Um, so Miriam is um a uh yeah, I mean Miriam is still alive and is always a bit of a weird one as well, being like, I want some like not only like not only having guests who are not who are not still alive um because it's like what if Miriam heard this um it's a bit weird but <laughs> I feel like she's probably quite used to people picking her as one of their dinner party guests um I she is an actress um and also has been very um outspoken about being a lesbian 
Um, and um, she, um, I think, just would be a really interesting, interesting presence at a dinner party. Um, she's very silly, despite being brilliant. And I, and I think actually. Um, once I've once I've said my third one, you'll kind of understand there's a bit of a trend. Um, third person would be Sophie. Um, Sophie was, I don't even know how to begin to describe who Sophie was. Um, Sophie was a, a music producer um, and DJ and songwriter and kind of very instrumental in developing the hyperpop genre. Um, unfortunately, she died only age 34 um, in 2021. Um, she was she climbed up to view this like powerful supermoon in Athens and had an accidental fall. And um, her, her loss, I mean, it really is felt throughout the music um, industry. And I haven't, I've been to so many gigs since 2021, since we came out of COVID that, well, we're still experiencing COVID, but since we came out of the kind of national lockdowns um, and nearly all of them have either mentioned Sophie or played a song for Sophie. And yeah, just her impact has been in incredible. Um, she pushed the boundaries. So Sophie's definitely would be an important person that I would love to have met. Um, I never even got to see her play. Um, but I feel like all three uh, guests um, are brilliant and boundary pushing in their own ways. And I think the conversations that would be had would be just so multi-dimensional and exploratory and everyone would learn a lot from each other. Um, but I think also what I think I love about all of them is from what I understand of what they were like, um, or are like it they got I feel like all three individuals would be able to bring this sort of like silliness to accompany their brilliance and that's something that I really value in people and also something that I try and I mean I'm not saying I'm brilliant but I try and be as silly as possible <laughs> along with dealing with the important topics to me and uh, that I think are important in the world um, and I just think it'd be a really like wonderful conversation and environment. <laughs> I mean, you've got three quite different um, people attending. Um, yeah. Bell Hooks, we did, uh, we read uh, All About Love for our February book this year, actually, actually Valentine's themed. Uh -huh. um, and uh, she's a popular choice for our podcast um, for obvious reasons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Marie Margulis, I I am a big fan of personally. I think she's yeah, like you say, silly and funny, and um, obviously a kind of well loved in terms of our generation with Harry Potter and that kind of thing. Um, but is also does really push those boundaries as a kind of openly lesbian woman um and Sophie I'm I'm so sorry to hear I hadn't I hadn't heard of um Sophie but uh she sounds like an incredible character um how do you think those guests would all get on with each other over the course of the evening well I think firstly everyone has queerness to tie them together um and as a queer person myself that 
feels most comfortable in queer spaces there's a sort of level of understanding that goes beyond generations or specific experiences or interests that just like the way that you see the world and interact with it comes through in like living and loving and like kind of breaking down norms as queer people I mean bell hooks actually described herself as queer pake so as in queer not gay um and was like her quote of um it, it kind of lives on very much in the queer community um this quote of hers about queer being not about who you're having sex with but it's about being at odds with everything around it um and that is very much an understanding of queerness that I personally relate to I mean yes definitely about who I'm having sex with too but for me queerness is so much more than that it's about looking at the world and the norms and expectations in society and thinking about whether they feel right for who I am within and actually so much of the way I express myself and my queerness is is at odds with the world and I think that especially plays into it when I when one is like I am um a gender non-conforming person of color as well um and 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 of course Abel Hooks was coming at it as a black woman too um a black femme person um and then Sophie uh was a trans woman um and was one of the sort of like you know one of the few um incredibly successful trans women in the electronic music world I mean this is one of the few not definitely not the only I mean the woman that was one of the like first pioneers of um electronic music was a trans woman um one of the first the first trans woman to win a Grammy was in 1970 and she was also she's also considered sort of like a pioneer of the genre and that was Wendy Carlos um so Sophie was definitely not the first um but she was um a real defining force in it and Miriam is a lesbian has called herself a dyke on national tv um is really open about it and and just also just quite like matter of fact about it which I think is really important um for the fact you know for the queer community and for other people to look at the queer community and be like it doesn't have to be that that LGBT people and queer people just do exist and it, it is, an, is an aspect of our personalities but it's not everything and I think all three people that all three of my guests do embody that they are so much more than their queerness but they would have that to tie their experiences together I also think all three of them have done work or do work that pushes the boundaries of the, their fields um and probably think about the world in ways that are kind of expansive and boundary pushing as we have said so I think that there'll be a lot for the three of them to talk about. There may well be some disagreements, but I think that contributes to an interesting dinner party. Mm, definitely. And and where's this dinner party being held? Where's it being held? 
um, in my mind, it's certainly being held in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. um, I am really lucky and really fortunate to live in a beautiful flat in Stoke Newington with three people I consider family. And we often have flat dinners, but also have people around and have little dinner parties in our kitchen. Um, it's this really, uh, it's like a first floor and attic flat. Um, so we have, there's like another flat that's on the ground floor below us, but it means that our kitchen is kind of like a first floor kitchen on the corner. And it has two really big windows. Um, and so it feels very open and it kind of really like can look all the way down the road one side and sometimes the sun sets down the road and it like you can see it down the big window at the end of the kitchen um and we have lots and lots of wine bottles and candle holders that are just covered in melted wax collected over the last two and a half years um we are constantly burning candles and we're constantly cooking in there and it has um I think a really beautiful and homely and um yeah homely energy but also can be transformed into quite a magical little dinner party setting um with like flowers and vases and lots and lots of candles so that sounds beautiful you've got the sun setting uh Miriam Ogler's uh bell hooks and Sophie uh and you sitting around uh, your table what tunes are going to be on repeat all evening so I think to start with, we'll sort of ease into it with the piano trio in G minor, um, Opus 17 by Clara Schumann. Um, I love this choice because um, I'm a classical music nerd and play instrument. And this is the first classical music choice that we've had. <laughs> so I'm very, very <laughs> excited. <laughs> I love that. Um, what instruments do you play? I, I play the, well, I singing is my main thing. I'm trained, classically trained singer, but also uh, the piano and the organ. Um, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so I also have a classical music background. Um, I actually attended a specialist music school um, when I was a teenager for five years. Um, and I played lots of music at university too. Um, and I play the violin, the piano, and I also sang and slash sing sometimes. Um, and so yeah, classical music has a a very sort of deep rooted, nostalgic, but also complex relationship um, with me. <laughs> well, I have a really complex relationship with classical music. I guess it's two ways. <laughs> um, where I, I basically had to stop playing for a few years because of uh, kind of just, yeah, it was um, my sort of school experience was very intense. Um, and to rediscover a love for it and an ability to listen to classical music without overanalyzing or feeling stressed um, has been a really beautiful <laughs> journey. Um, but also the kind of like, realization that so I mean basically 99% of the music that I played was by male composers um and there were lots of female classical composers but that isn't that music is not what is promoted is not what's centered um in the kind of traditional um 
settings and I'm sure things are changing now and there are lots of groups that are changing things there's the her ensemble actually a lot of them I went to school with um they're really cool um but yeah I mean I didn't even know much about Clara Schumann when I was a teenager um apart from the fact that like she maybe had an affair with Brahms Mm -hmm. and um she was always kind of like framed as just the wife and having an affair with another male composer and actually she was uh, and a brilliant composer in her own right she only just didn't get to probably have as much output because she was also raising like eight children or something um so yeah I think this trio is beautiful and I love a piano trio um you know as a violinist string quartets are, are wonderful but I, there's something about a piano trio where it has the fullness um of sound and the kind of like excitement that comes with having a a piano um just yeah the the three the three instrument piano trio situation it just really works for me so this is a beautiful piece and I think it'd be a lovely way to start the evening definitely and uh I mean I could talk about classical music for hours but I know that our listeners are probably not quite (laughs) quite (laughs) nerdy about it um so what's your second tune um my second tune is um <laughs> it's actually immaterial by Sophie. So yeah, obviously Sophie's going to be like don't play this or Sophie's going to be like love this. <laughs> One of my favorite tunes. Um I don't know. I would like to think that whichever reaction she has, she would be pleased that this is a an everlasting tune that will forever live on in everyone's minds. Um yeah, it's it's just an it's 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 incredible incredible piece of music. It's about um, transness and about gender and body and so many things, but it's also just really fun. And I think that that would be it would be a really good tune to have, sort of like you know, as we're starting to get a bit tipsy or as conversation is starting to get a bit more, you know, uh, just going on journeys. And we'll pop on a, one of Sophie's most um, well-known tunes. And then my third one is Oh Bondage Up Yours by X-Ray Specs. Um, they were like a really defining uh, punk band. Um, and uh, the lead was polyest- polyesterine, um, who was a female punk singer, um, which was also, you know, not that um, common at the time. Um, and also a person also a woman of color and also I think possibly queer um and yeah they were just really great um and they didn't put out that much music but I'm really obsessed with their um the one the kind of main album that they did um did put out and this was their like kind of launch single this was their like debut single Oh Bondage Up Yours that they like smashed onto the scene with and uh it's just really energizing and awesome and I think would be a great like tune to listen to at some point maybe near the end maybe whenever <laughs> what are you serving uh for your starter what are you kind of starting with um meal wise before we start probably uh I'll make everyone a dirty gin martini um with some olives and then for starters, um, a selection of dim sum, including the wontons, which are one of my favorite things from Tofu Vegan. <laughs> it's so good. And I'm vegan. Um, so everyone's going to be forced to eat vegan with this meal. But um, I feel like I've chosen 
are good options for that, for representing the diversity of, of vegan cuisine. Um, and then the main would be a masala dosa from uh, this restaurant chain. But when I was growing up, it was kind of just like two called Das Prakash um, in India. Um, and so there's one in Delhi that I used to go to with my dad when I was little. Um, and that was my favorite dosa growing up. Delicious. Is that the dosa <laughs> that has potato and vegetables inside of it? Yeah, yeah. Yum. Delicious. Do they have <laughs> locations in Delhi but, or do they have locations elsewhere? They have locations in a few different places around India. Um, I think it's grown a lot as a chain mm -hmm. since I was a kid. So it's being transported <laughs> over to London from Delhi, although you've kind of managed to work out some magic where it doesn't, you know, it's still warm, it's still fresh, even after a nine hour flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's still, because dosa is also a dish that doesn't travel well. Like it needs to be eaten as soon as it's out of the kitchen. So yeah, this is sort of the magic of um this meal. I mean, we also have two guests that um, are not alive anymore. So <laughs> magic surrounding it. I mean, it's it's on brand with Maria Margulies and Harry Potter, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the dessert, vegan pistachio gelato from La Gelatiera in Crouch End. Delicious. Is that a an ice cream place that you go to a lot? or uh, have you only tried it once or is it kind of a favorite place so I've actually only gotten gelato from it once um it just was also by chance I was just in Crouch End and it just happened to be a really sunny day and so we thought um we would get gelato and they were closing for renovations and so they were doing like a cone for like 50p or a quid or something so we um we me and my partner got um this got this gelato from crouch and and pistachio gelato is my favorite anyway but getting finding a vegan one is um an incredible like thing to come across and then it just had bits of pistachio and it was quite salty and it was like this really um it just wasn't too sweet and it really hit the spot so it's lived on in my mind and I definitely have to return as soon as I can delicious are you serving any other drinks after the dirty gin martini is there wine on offer that kind of thing yeah definitely I think wine with the meal although I feel like with the dishes that we have going maybe like acai would be better maybe like beers um but obviously depends on what everyone is uh interested in um can definitely have wine and beers there and then i think maybe at the end with the with the gelato could have a sort of like a like a riesling or like a kind of like dessert wine um and then maybe a digestif uh after or maybe like a martini rosso on ice with like a squeeze of orange delicious mm. I mean, that sounds like a very good menu <laughs> thank you <laughs> i kind of want to eat this meal now i mean I thinking about this, i was like writing it down being like wow can i have this dinner <laughs> <laughs> especially the tofu vegan dim sum although i know they deliver so yeah, that's the most achievable one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so the evening 
kind of progressing. You've got music playing. You've had your delicious food. Uh, wine is flowing. Um, <laughs> what's kind of happening next? Are you all going out? Are you all staying in, having kind of more of a relaxed uh, evening? Does it end really late or um, is it, you know, earlier bedtime? What's What's happening? I certainly don't think it will be an early bedtime. Um, I think that, <laughs> I mean, Sophie would want to look at, stay up and look at the moon. Um, <laughs> and I would too. And I am also quite a night owl. So I probably, um, I'm always sort of coming alive um, as things get into the nighttime. And actually often in the mornings, I'm very sleepy, but then, somehow by the evening that tiredness has gone away and I'm ready to just sort of come up with loads of ideas and have long conversations and explorations and I think personally some of the best conversations that are most revealing and most healing <laughs> happen after midnight um so I think we would be staying up we'll continue to drink um one thing that I love to do after a meal at my flat is go for a few more drinks at this little um, sort of Irish dive bar in Stoke Newington called Mascara Bar, um, which me and my housemates absolutely love. And it's kind of a bit iconic in around this area. Um, so I think that would be a great place to move on to if we wanted to go elsewhere um, to continue drinking and chatting. And because there's always some very interesting people that you meet there. I mean, it it feels like a bit of a wormhole. It feels like a world in itself um, and could be a really great next location. But another, um, another thing that came to my mind was that um, we could do some creative making um my friends and I quite enjoy having drinks and uh doing like life drawing face um not face drawing <laughs> life drawing um portrait drawing exercises while we're drinking so I've been to some really great life drawing classes um where some of the exercises for warming up are things like drawing with your non-dominant hand or drawing without taking your pen off the paper or without looking at your paper. And those things are quite fun to do when there's a group around a dining table. So you kind of like draw whoever's sitting opposite you or sitting diagonally to you. Um, and quite fun to do when you are a little bit um, sort of drunk or, or, or kind of have intoxicants flowing because your senses are lowered. Um, I think with everyone in this group also being kind of like a creative um in some way or another i think it could be some really really interesting and um just like really fun and beautiful things to come out of that um one time my friends and i had a sort of gathering and and we all painted on one giant canvas There's like nine or ten of us that made a painting together and it's hanging up on our on our landing now and um it's one of my favorite things in the world <laughs> That's such a nice idea. So <laughs> it's either, yeah, either ending at a bar or kind of creative evening. I think so. Um, I mean, that sounds like a dream feminist dinner party to me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you are very welcome to join. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I mean, I'd love to speak to you a bit more about your kind of career and your activism. Um, mm -hmm. 
what does feminism and intersectionality mean for you in your personal life? Hmm. <laughs> it's a big question. In some ways, it's... In some ways, feminism and intersectionality are things that I wish I didn't have to think about in my personal life. Mm -hmm. Like, I, of course, view everything that I do through both of those lenses and I try and reframe them for myself and for other people as much as I can in order for my feminism to be inclusive and to be um, expansive and really look at the work that I do and the issues that I try and tackle through my campaigning and through my writing through an intersectional lens but also that's also just my, it's my life like I move through the world as someone that is constantly impacted by the very issues that intersectional feminism is trying to address and sometimes it's exhausting a lot of the time it's exhausting um so it's 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 a, it's a funny one um obviously I'm really my relationship with it is that it's important and an important lens um through which to intentionally do any of the, any work that I do and to have the conversations that I have with other people it's always with an understanding of our relative privileges and our relative in, like interactions and experiences of the world and how intersectionality plays into that and what the kind of end goal is um, but for me also all of the language and all of the theory can feel limiting and can feel something that I wish I didn't have to contend with like I obviously just wish day to day that I could just be um and just be myself and be free and that everyone else could just be themselves and be free and we're kind of kind of maybe it's a bit too existential but you know ultimately these things like feminism and intersectionality and um anti-race theory and queer theory and all of that stuff are tools to help us help make the world safer for everyone and for how to help us understand ourselves better and other people better and the diversity of human experience better and to challenge the norms that already exist. Um, but all language that we have access to in theory doesn't, it doesn't cover everything and it has nuance. And I think sometimes I just wish that I could just be, <laughs> that makes sense. Definitely, I think a lot of people from marginalized kind of communities feel like that. I mean, how do you kind of combine queer activism and also feminist activism 
in your everyday life? How do they intersect for you? Uh, personally, for me, they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't view them as separate um, theory or activism. Um, I think they're rooted in the same, in challenging the same norms. Uh, obviously, there are differences um, in and like not everyone has the same experience but then not every woman has the same experience and not every queer person has the same experience so yeah like the distinction is is helpful um when you're when you're kind of doing things like you know presenting the research or when you're trying to make laws or policy or whatever it's obviously helpful to have these distinctions but yeah, in my day-to-day practice and in my view of the world and how I do my work, um, it's all the same thing for me to look at the work that I'm doing and to look at society and recognise that the root issues, the root inequalities that are driving violence and inequality and extraction and exploitation and homophobia and misogyny are capitalism, colonialism, you know, patriarchy. It's all linked. Um, So on a day, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of a no-brainer for them to be linked and combined in my work. Um the same ideas and assumptions that oppress that oppress that are that are used to oppress women. Um the kind of ways in which the patriarchy acts against people of marginalized genders um and people who aren't men uh to do with you know thinking of femininity as lesser than or thinking of uh presenting vulnerability as a weakness or all of those things or objectifying bodies um all plays into how gay men are also marginalized by the patriarchy because of femininity and because of like gay men are seen as being closer to women because they are feminine or they have sex with men especially bottoms um and that is the patriarchy in action and linked to homophobia so you know trans women are one of the most marginalized group because of uh an intersection of misogyny racism homophobia um it's all linked um, and I just want to, in all my work, try and seek out the most true voices of people that are impacted by whatever issues being explored um, and to make sure that the stories that I'm telling or the, the outcomes that I'm working towards are supporting those that do sit on those intersections and do actually experience 
the issues that are being trying to trying to be tackled through both feminist and queer activism i mean that i guess the kind of the description of intersectionality and, and why it's yeah important. um i always ask my guests uh, one final question uh, which is uh, what are you doing on an everyday basis in a small way to become a better feminist either for yourself or for those around you I think on a daily basis in a small way um I'm getting better at recognizing um and respecting my own needs and my boundaries um as someone socialized as a woman and and you know this is a very common thing for people socialized as girls and women um we are taught to be palatable and to please others and to overextend ourselves in order to make sure that everyone around us is happy and cared for and looked after um and I over the past few years have been slowly unlearning this um I definitely have people pleasing tendencies and I definitely still feel worried about taking up space and I still undermine my own needs and don't yeah so every day I'm trying to get better um at reminding myself that my needs and boundaries are important it's okay to say no it's okay to rest and it's also okay for me to ask for what I need I'm not being difficult I don't need to be the cool girl in quotation marks um and I deserve I deserve to have my needs met. I think that's a really powerful answer because, yeah, a lot of people haven't quite worked out yet how to um, kind of respect their own boundaries. <laughs> yeah. Everyone talks about, you know, how to learn to respect other people's boundaries, but it's also important to, especially if you've been socialised as a girl and a woman, yeah, and actually you're doing other people, especially if you're in relation with them, you're doing them a favour by having your own boundaries too. But you're looking after both of you if you're able to be clear about what you have capacity for and also what your expectations are. You're not expecting anyone to read your mind and you're not letting resentment build and you're not burning yourself out. Um, and so, yeah, it's been helpful to frame it in that way to myself as well, that actually it's caring for yourself, but also it's showing love to someone that you might love to be able to also make it clear to them what you need and what you have capacity for. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Prashita, for uh, yeah recording with us today. Um, it was a, a lovely dinner party with uh, lovely food and great guests, great music. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely to chat and dream of this dream dinner party, which I'll be doing for like weeks now. Thank <laughs> you.